we are continuing our study. It's um, it's Sunday, March tenth, two thousand nineteen. We're going to, going to continue with the thought of the week. And Dwight will give us the thought of the week. Thank you, Pastor Presley. You belong to God. Your belonging goes far beyond the thought of giving yourself to God. God owns you because he is the one who called you. He is the one who predestined you, redeemed, justified, and glorified you. From Romans chapter 8, verse 30. He is the one who saved you by grace and planted your feet on the ground in this unique time where you are now a son united to the Lord as a wife to her husband. It is clear the Father thought about us long before we had any thoughts at all. One thing we can take from Israel is the pride in God's divine calling. They never tire of telling the story of how the nation was formed. They tell of how God frees his people from slavery and bondage, how Pharaoh and his army were drowned in the Red Sea. We who are in the church can take note here and develop some pride. God thought of the church, planned and established it according to his perfect will. He hid it within himself until he was ready to reveal it. This story needs to be told. And the manifold wisdom of God heralded throughout the universe. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. From Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Even though Paul was formerly Jewish, he is certainly proud to be in the church and has proudly embraced God's choices. Have you? And that is the thought of the week. I'd like to offer a little commentary on the simple gospel, which is the entryway into what God's calling is. So this idea of being predestined, redeemed, and justified, and glorified, and even being a son is all God's plan before the beginning of time. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't restrict it to just those who are saved, who decide for themselves to accept the gift of God through their own volition. For it is by grace that we have been saved, but this grace is offered to everybody. Christ died for the life of the world so that anyone who believes in him shall have eternal life. And that eternal life is our entryway into understanding what God has done in this spectacular age that we call the church age, from the time of Pentecost. Something special has happened during this time, for the Spirit is actually indwelling in us. And we have God's Spirit in us to lead us and guide us into all the truth. And it simply starts with believing his gift of salvation. I think that's a choice that we can make rather, um, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's a choice that we can make for ourselves, regardless of what the world around us is teaching us about prosperity and being successful. Eternal life with God is much more valuable. And what he has revealed to the church exposes his manifold wisdom and is contains the unsearchable riches of Christ, which he wants to make known to everyone. And that's my commentary for the thought of the week. And I'll turn it back over to Pastor Presley for the prayer. Thank you, Dwight. Just... Take, we'll take another moment to look to the Lord in prayer. Are there prayer requests that are out there? Uh, just for me, that I continue to seek 
uh, greater clarity and understanding, um, you know, how I can best utilize my gifts uh, that God has given me so that I can herald his manifold wisdom throughout the universe. Absolutely. Um, okay, and there may be silent requests on the hearts, I'm sure. So we'll, uh, we'll look to the Lord. Father, thank you so much for our life, the, the, what you have called us to. We thank you for Christ who sacrificed himself and gave up, up his life for ours. We, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who was here uh, ministering, mentoring, leading and guiding and directing us. We thank you for this church and we pray that as we continue to focus our attention on your plan that things will continue to be uh, more plain and understandable to us as Dwight has mentioned. So we pray for clarity, for uh, the wisdom that comes from the knowledge that we have about this age so we can live peaceful lives here on the earth. Uh, also, Father, we pray that uh, as we are preparing ourselves for the, the lesson of Second Corinthians, that, that you will give us wisdom here in this area so that the verses will be clear to us as well. We pray for uh, the families. I know the Elmore family that... Uh, um, going through some illness, and particularly Dwayne. We also pray for um, a new member. Uh, my sister's uh, daughter had a baby, a new baby, so we're praying for uh, Christine's baby, who, whose name is Anastasia, praying for her. And we pray, we're praying for all the families of those associated with Word is Truth, the children that are also associated, wherever they may be, um, asking your blessings of care and comfort over their lives as well. All these things we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we will take a look at some verses. Uh, it's a uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8. Uh, this is a very uh, common scripture that I have used on many occasions. Uh, we'll try to break it down. I'm sure we're not going to cover it in all the detail that it deserves, but we'll give you what we have at this point. So we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So there it is. Uh, it's a short verse. I wouldn't say it's long, but it is filled with lots of understanding and meaning. So you should have notes. Here's what it says. Here's a verse that is unique in its own way. While under persecution, the apostle is sure of a couple of things here. He's sure that he is called for the eternal purpose of God, and the suffering on the battlefield is according to God's will, and that he knows his place is to be, with, to be at home with the Lord. While on the battlefield, there will not be the rest from struggle, and he has resigned himself to be available to God as long as he is in the world, this world. Even though we, we may understand that attitude, it is certainly fine for us to yearn for our eternal state where we will simply be at home with the Lord. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's in 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we will take a look at the phrases in this verse. We'll take our time and go through to see if we can glean at least what it says in context. So we are confident, I say. 
the first thought is Paul was someone who was a deep thinker. And these thoughts would often drive him to sure conclusions. I am persuaded, or some, these are some of the conclusions that Paul would come to, and you would find them throughout his writings. I don't have to tell you where they are if you are a student of his writings. He would say things like, I am persuaded, right? But well, I'm sure he wasn't always persuaded. I'm sure he came to that understanding through taking in a lot of facts and uh, learning what the circumstances and context were of those facts and putting it all together to get to a point where he says, I am persuaded. And we must also conclude it's not just Paul who comes to these conclusions. There is a guiding factor at work, and that is God the Holy Spirit. So when he comes to these doctrinal conclusions, he's not just coming to them on his own accord. He's coming to them based on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is leading and guiding him into all truth. So he says, I am persuaded. I am confident. And then a negative one I threw in there is, God forbid, you see this often in Paul's writings, he'll come to conclusions and he'll build a straw man and say, well, what do you say to this? And he'll say what the straw man says. Shall we continue in sin that God's grace may increase over us? God forbid. In other words, away with that thought. Don't think of it that way. No way. But yet, that is how people think of things sometimes. And we need to at least air that so that people can have a perspective of the difference between what God is thinking and what they are thinking. So that's that, coming to conclusions and being able to live those conclusions is a matter of courage. It does. You know, for you to be persuaded, confident, and sure of something means that you, I wouldn't be or say that I was those things unless there was ample evidence to support that those conclusions are in fact true. And from Paul's understanding, it looks to be, right, it is between him and God, the Holy Spirit, that they have forged these conclusions. So the next point is, our context reveals two things for which Paul is confident. And one is in verse 6 of our context here, where he says, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So that's what verse 6 says. So he's confident that home in the body means he is away from the Lord. So when he says home in the body, he does feel comfortable in the body, he feels, as he says, at home, meaning this is all he knows. It is it is very uh, warming to him, right? He feels uh, relaxed to some degree. However, not really, because there's all this pressure on him uh, in the world in terms of suffering and persecutions and trouble. So he recognizes that. But he still feels home in the body. So when I looked at this verse and I thought about what he meant when he said that, was that he understands that he's on the battlefield. So that's why I said, therefore, on the battlefield, serving the Lord. So if he's away from the Lord, but he's at home in the body, that means he's on the battlefield. He's away at service. He's serving the Lord. You could look at it like, uh, the military. If a person is away from home, uh, they are serving on the battlefield. If they are at home, they are not serving on the battlefield. They are at home. So then the second thing that it m reminds me of is in verse 8, which is the verse we are currently on. That away from the body means that we will finally 
be home with the Lord. We will be finally home with the Lord if we are away from the body. So the moment we're away from the body, our connection with the Lord is going to be complete. We're going to be home with the Lord. And if obviously if we're home with the Lord, we're not on the battlefield anymore. And away from the body, we must say what that means, death. If you die on the battlefield, that means death. And what's, what does it mean for you? You're going to be home with the Lord. So we, some of these things, the conclusions seem obvious to us. I know that. I know you might look at these things and say, this is just basically par for the course, Doug. I don't know why you're emphasizing these things to this degree. It's because people don't have the same conclusions that you may see that are just seem to be apparent in these verses. They come to different conclusions, even though the verses say what they say. So what do we do? We emphasize what the verses are actually saying. That's all we can do. We can't force them to look at the verses, but we can be of help to them to see, oh, it does say this, that this is what it says. You are away from the body. Away from the body means that we will be finally home with the Lord. That's what it means. Now, imagine these are verses of assurance. There shouldn't be any equivocation here. These are verses of it. to help us understand. And these are people who are on the front line. This is our context. And these people um, are being persecuted. They are suffering. And they, are, they do face death every day. Uh, and so how do, how, how do they look at what will happen if they die? These, dresses, these verses are being addressed. The state of mind that they should have is being addressed here. And we should have confidence and know these things. Especially that we, you know, we could easily be divided like the disciples were. Jesus said, strike the shepherd and the flock will be scattered. And that is exactly what happened. They seized Christ and the others fled. They ran for their lives. So panic sets in. There's a different way of thinking for many. So we have to take that into account, right? We can even now we can think everything's going fine. There's no problem. But then a storm comes into play. All of a sudden, it depends on how the perception is. There's fear. People are rushing into the stores to buy all the water and the bread and all the food and, and stocking up and trying to get batteries and such. And so th- this is not normal behavior, but this could be panic behavior. And uh, people will do a lot of different things in panic situations. So... Um, that's why when persecution, you're on a battlefield, there's stress, there's trials, trouble, right? Things are not going the, the way you thought they should go. Then what happens? And you ought to have confidence on the battlefield. That's what he's saying here. We need assurance. So let's keep going in our context. We could go on with that, but let's continue. Uh, I think I'm at point C. To conclude that thought, to, to conclude that thought is verse nine's attitude to please him in whatever state we find ourselves. So that's the case, right? So he gave two scenarios: one in verse six, I am confident. I say that if I'm home in the body, I'm away from the Lord, meaning I'm on the battlefield, and I'm confident. I walk by faith on the battlefield, and then. The other thought of this is, well, if I'm away from the body, well, if I do die on the battlefield, if I do have to leave this body, I'm away from the body, then I'm going to be at home with the Lord. So it doesn't matter. In verse 9, he kind of sums it up by saying, well, it doesn't really matter what state we're in. We're confident either way, but I'd prefer to be at home with the Lord. But he says, either way, our objective is to please him right doesn't matter if we're at home in the body 
or away from the Lord, if we're on the battlefield or where he brings us home. Now that's interesting because and I keep saying things like that because I look at other sides of it. It's nice to look at the side that says, well, if I'm away from the body, I'm away from all the trouble, the tribulation, I'll be at home with the Lord. And my objective is to please him while I'm here in the world. That means to fulfill the mission, right? The, the objective of what worthy of the calling that I have. That's the objective while I'm here, to please the Lord. But what about when it says, when I get to heaven, my objective is to please him, right? So that means I have to have not only consciousness, but, uh, you know, purpose. Not, <laughs> it's more than just consciousness, but purpose to, in order to please him. And it says that for both. If you look at, we're not at verse 9 yet, uh, but we will. We make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. That is to say, I, uh, you have a role when you get to heaven. You, you won't just be sitting around. <laughs> There'll be still things to, for you to do. Now, even though we have removed you from the battlefield, this is from God's perspective, there's still going to be things that you will need to occupy with. So, we'll leave that for next week, that thought. But there's still more thoughts to consider along those lines. We'll, we'll leave it. So let's continue in our outline here. So it's to please him. So notice, so whether we're at home in the body, uh, we prefer to be away from the body, but to be at home with the Lord. That's what our preference is. And then, uh, confidence. What does it mean in this verse to have confidence? And I, I want you to see it's more of an action word, not just a noun or a state of being, state of mind. Uh, it, it is a state of mind, but it is also how that state of mind affects you as well. So confidence, when I look at some of the definitions for this word, and we talked about what the Greek word is, but the point is, it is to be bold. And I'm getting these direct uh, definitions directly from Thayer and um, also from Strong. So to be bold, it's not just I, I have a state of mind of confidence. I, it means to be bold. To be bold means that I'm not afraid. I, it has to do with courage, to be able to execute what is on your mind in the face of, uh, you know, opposing circum circumstances. So, like, for instance, like Abraham, when he finally understood that God was going to have, he was going to have a son, he was bold in the way he conducted his faith. He, he says, I believe this, and, and then I'm going to begin to behave this as well. Not just, I believe it in my mind, it's tucked away back there somewhere, but I believe this in my mind, and this is what I'm persuaded or I'm confident about. And my behavior is now uh, going to be in line with the thinking of those conclusions. So it means to be bold, to exercise courage. Notice, this is another definition of that. To have confidence, right? The, the meaning here is an inward confidence that influences the attitude. So notice, <clears throat> if you can get this mindset or persuasion, then potentially it will give you courage to behave that mindset, to live it out, to walk it out by faith, as it said in the previous verse, where we walk, we conduct our lives by means of faith not by sight. That means the living part, right? What, the follow-through of what you believe is how you behave it, what you do as a result of it. Right? We, we could talk about being transformed by the renewing of your mind, but that transformation of mind lends to, or the natural result of that, is a, a walking in accordance to what we think. 
That doesn't always work that way. That's why I say it's, it should be a natural result. But when we don't walk according to the things that we believe, then that is said to be sin. And whatever is not a faith is sin. In other words, we have gone against what is in our heart, what God has revealed to us in our heart to be truth. We have gone the opposite direction, or we have behaved the opposite direction. For instance, Peter is a good example. When Peter uh, was eating with the Gentiles, he knew that that was true. He knew it, but yet he succumbed to the pressure and the fear so that his outward behavior did not match what was inside his heart. Paul called him out on it. He said he was a hypocrite. And he braced him to his face. He said, listen, you know better than this. So it's not true. And what was Peter doing? Literally, he was sinning, right? Paul had to set the record straight, even among the leadership of the church. Peter was an apostle. That gift carries authority in the church. And yet, Paul had to uh, make sure that the direction of the church was not to be confused with uh, walking in Israel or some other way that he knows better. That's not true. So, so that is important to note that this last part of it says there's a synergy with the Spirit that gives you this, that enables you to have the boldness and the confidence to be able to walk in ways that are not necessarily the way everybody else is walking. It takes courage. It does. But when you do walk in the Spirit, right, you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh or the cravings of the sinful nature. Well, how do you dispel those? By walking in the Spirit. So this one, this influence is not just, you know, us, you know, wanting to know truth. It is God the Holy Spirit working in us, encouraging us, and empowering us to walk in truth. So we, we need that. We can't, I don't believe, we don't have the motivation or the impetus to be able to walk in truth. God the Holy Spirit gives us that. Even if we learn it, even if we know it, and it takes our volition to ascend to it in every every stage, every step of the way, it still requires the power of the Spirit to enable us to live it. And that reminds me of the result of these verses. It will give us confidence, this confidence that is spoken of here, to be bold, to exercise courage, to have confidence, the, the meaning, right? That's what it will result in us. So let's keep going. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body. So this part here, prefer to be away from the body, let's look into that a little bit. So after looking at his situation, Paul has a preference. Now, he says confident in both, but there is a preference. And that preference is to be at home with the Lord. Our preference should not conflict with our desire to serve on the battlefield. So uh, that's verses 6 and 7. So even though we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, well, our preference is to be with the Lord. But we're away from the Lord. And the confidence that we have here is me, it means more that we're going to execute the plan that God has put in front of us. Like it says, that we would walk worthy of the calling that we have received. That is what we are confident about. Now, once we, but but it still our preference is uh, be better that we don't have this fight, this battle, this trouble, this tribulation, this persecution, you know, hard pressed on every side, jars of clay. All those things is better that we don't have that. Paul is saying, I prefer not to go through those things and to be at home with the Lord. So notice, even though he has that preference, he continues to be confident in his life that he is executing here in the world. So point B, away from the body means, doesn't just mean 
you know, someone once told me that, uh, I said, well, what do you think it means to be away from the body? And they said, away from the body of Christ. I said, away from the body of Christ? What do you mean? <laughs> They're like, away from the church, the local church. No, I said, no, that's not the context here. So the context here is, if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, you know, there it is, right there. Well, that's what it means to be away from the body. It means that you die. Now, according to the context, your death might be as a result of persecution that you are having in this world. That's what it could mean for you. If this earthly tent we live in is destroyed. Didn't say, well, like Peter said, well, I'm getting old and this tent is wearing out. Well, he says, if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed. And even though Peter was old, uh, church history tells us that his earthly tent was not just old, but it was destroyed. Uh, Peter was crucified. And then he said, well, I'm asking to be crucified upside down, if that is my preference, because uh, you know I'm honoring my Lord. If this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, right? That's what it means to be away from the body. So uh, that, that we should have that, right? Make sure we understand that it means if we die, and. And certainly it means if we die and if, if we're just old age or natural causes or whatever, either way, if you die, what will happen to you as a believer? Same thing that happened to these believers who are on the front line. You are going to be away from the body. That's what it, what it will come to mean. So um, getting back to the thought here, <clears throat> verse point C his preference is to be with the Lord, even if it means that he will have to leave the comfort of his earthly tent, his body. And much is said here about, well, if I'm, if I leave the body, I'll be naked, meaning I won't. I'll have a soul and a spirit, but I won't have a body. Right? Yeah, that's that's home to me. That's all I know. I've, as far as I know, that's I'm in my skin. I'm comfort. You know how we talk about being comfortable in our skin. Paul is saying, I'm at home in the body. This is all I know. Even though it's persecuting, persecuted, or if it's struggle here, uh, I'm facing trouble. I'm, you know, if you look at Paul's, uh, his testimony in 2 Corinthians 11, where he talks about all the times that he was beaten with rods and uh, with the cat of nine tails and, and how he was chased from city to city by the Jews and persecuted and stoned and, uh, you know, all the different things that happened to him, uh, to his body. I would imagine if you were to see Paul, you would see some of the signs of all these things that have happened to his body. So he is recognizing that, uh, his preference is to be with the Lord. He, he would rather that be the case. But he is saying he, would, he knows he would have to leave this body. There is some uncertainty there. Like what will happen if I die? Now all of us should know what happens if you die. Not only should you know it, but you should have confidence about what's going to happen when you die. So these are things that God didn't just leave it to. Well, if this happens, just wait. There'll be a time where you can just sit back and just wait. And, and No, he, he says, I'm going to tell you exactly what's happening. Because look, you're serving me on the battlefield. So you might as well understand what's going to be next if you should have to give your life in service. It's assurance for you. He didn't just leave us to... The thought of, hey, I wonder what will happen next. You would just have to wait and see. No, he tells us what's going to happen next. And that's comforting to my soul. So, he, now, so leaving the comfort of that body. And Paul goes through that. Well, if I don't want to be naked, and, and what? No, we don't want to be naked, but we do want to be with the Lord, right? He goes through that whole thing to tell you. 
that I'm confident, I know what's going to happen to me. But I realize that people are in that place where they're thinking in terms of fear. It doesn't want us to be fearful. So this attitude, and this is point D, this attitude left Paul fearless. And I'll return to Romans um, for this, Romans 8. And this is what I mean by fearless. So 35 through 39 verses that you should have heard many of many times. But listen to the fearlessness of these words. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword? Well, there's a lot that is covered there. And so I just say that uh, Paul did face all of those things. He didn't have food and it could go on. We could go on and some of the persecution and suffering that he had. But he knew one thing for sure. He says, nothing can separate him from the love of Christ. In other words, what God the Father had planned for him in Christ. As it is written, verse 36, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And here we got one of those phrases again. For I am convinced. Now here, listen. He already said it all right there. We are more than conquerors. And, all, and, and more than that than all of those things combined through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able, will have enough power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's nothing, there's this fear. We can walk without fear in this world and know that whatever happens to us, and just know all of those things that he mentioned could happen to us, but none of them will separate us from what God's plan is for us. So this is why he says, might as well serve wholeheartedly. Like just give yourself to it because you should know that you're operating in the eternal purpose of the Father. Understand that. So it left Paul with boldness, like we said earlier, to, to exercise courage, to have confidence. And that's what we should have. And the next point is, remember... The body or tent is a temporary dwelling. That says for sure that our lives here are not meant to be our permanent state. Now just think about that. For Paul to say that about our lives means that this is not all there is to it. And people are asking that question. I mean, many people have asked the question, what's Next, what's going to happen after we pass out of this life? So what is, is there a next? Is there, or some people have concluded there's no next. There's just nothingness. There's no, no one knows. So we could say that there's nothing after. You just don't exist. Well, that is not true. There is a next, according to the word of God. And according to what we have read and God has revealed in our hearts that there's this purpose that we have. So for him to call the body a tent, a tent, as I said, is a temporary dwelling. So this speaks <clears throat> that God has a plan, We're, that there is uh, you know, somebody behind the scenes, of which we know, God, who is orchestrating human history so that it will come to an end at one point. It's a temporary dwelling. 
what the life that we have we know is temporary it's a proving ground for things that will be to come so if we only live short-sightedly like Esau did then we'll miss out on a lot of things Esau could not see the end of what God had for him so it says he wept bitterly even though he did that it was too late so point F all this hints to a larger eternal purpose of God for all things and if we're already in Romans let's read what we mean it's not just the fact that but we should start putting it together and sometimes people only look at salvation as as though everything it revolves around the redemption plan of God what we realize is the redemption plan of God is a component part of God's eternal purpose as I said, it is not to take away from the redemption plan as though it did not have great significance for us and for all of Adam's race, fallen race. But it does. But it is yet a component part of what will be in the eternal state. So looking at our verses here, Romans 8, 19 through 22 says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So then he goes into us because we are those sons that he's referring to. So this is interesting when we think about it. You know, all of this speaks to a larger plan. And if we look at 1 Corinthians, there's another verse. And this is 3. And at the end, uh, verses 21 through 23 says, So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. So just know where, uh, what your place is in the eternal future. He just gave it right there. Just told you straight out in the very first phrase. So then no more boasting about human leaders. Who's better, Paul or Apollos or Cephas? All things are yours. What do you mean all things, Paul? And then he goes on and tells you. Life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And we saw how everything revolves around us, the sons of God, waiting, all creation, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. We saw how that works. So just know there's a larger plan. We're moving forward. It says, and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So as believers, we should know that to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Learn this. Know this until you are confident as well. So this is Paul's mindset. He's telling us his mindset so that we can understand, learn the knowledge, understand the plan, and adopt the same confidence that he has. He's not just telling us to say, hey, I know whatever you think is fine, but let me tell you what I think. No, he's telling you this to help you understand the proper mindset that we should have as we are still here in the battle. This is long after the Apostle Paul is gone. Long after those who had first for all uh, delivered the faith to us. Right? So we are now here and we're on the battlefield. 
And sure, the battle is not exactly the same type of battle that they had. Yeah, it's more of a mental battle. But yet, it is still just as fierce as it was in the days of the apostles. So we have to learn this until we're confident and we're able to walk and ex express or display courage according to our own convictions in our heart. So, point B, what happens when you die? These are some of the phrases that I've just gleaned from the context of what we have um, been studying in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What happens when you die? And these are questions, I don't mean to be blunt or, uh, you know, it, I, don't, I don't want to say this in a rash and uh way that is not uh, considering of people's feelings. But we, we want to be sure that we understand what we say. What happens when you die? We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. Or it says that we will be in our heavenly dwelling. This mortal may be swallowed up by life. We are fashioned for this very purpose. And obviously in our verse, we are home with the Lord. That ha that's what happens when you die. You are to be assured of that as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is for sure. That is what God has planned for us. He has fashioned us for this very purpose. That's unique. So let's just be clear about that. And then point C, these verses are meant to be assurance for us. But that cannot be if we are questioning the theology that is evident and our destiny. Right. So we, if we don't understand the theology of this, meaning all the doctrines of what people have, oh, when you die, this happens. When you die, that happens. Oh, when, no, we need to be sure. In this age, what happens when you die? Now, it doesn't mean there should be any equivocation here. You should have the theology. And it's clear from what, from what we have been reading. It is very evident. It's obvious what's here. Um, and if you're questioning the ground on which you stand, obviously there can be no confidence, no boldness, no walking with courage. If you're questioning the very ground or the theology that's clearly here and our destiny, you can't have confidence. You can't know these things. Point D. Our destiny is to be home with the Lord. And these are some of the things that are also said about us in Ephesians 1.23. We are his body. Well, that would make sense. Right? In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, By one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Right? So that, that is further evidence, even though it's not in our scripture here, but that is the thought. This one body, uh, the, is what the, the one verse says, We are His body, the fullness of Him, who fills everything in every way. So we are not just part of the Lord who is of the earth. We are a part of the Lord who is from heaven, who fills everything in every way. We have a part, a role in that as well. If we're his body uh, and we are away from the Lord when we're here on the earth, that means we are performing a plan, just like when Christ was here, he was performing a plan from the Father. So he says to you in Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. When he was here, this is what he did. Well, now you're here. You need to have the same attitude. You being uh, his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That should be your destiny. You should understand that. And our destiny, obviously, is to be at home with the Lord. So, we will look at this last verse. 
that also speaks of the identity that we have and the life that we share in Christ. Uh, we are his body. We, the life that we have is the same as him. Uh, we don't know what we, sh the world does not know us, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is, and we will see all those verses. But there's this one verse in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, that I'd like to close with. It says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Now, raised with Christ is, you know, we referring to our death, burial, and resurrection. Right, so, so that has to do with the baptism of the Spirit, and one of the aspects of that is that we are raised with Christ. Now, what does it mean? He's going to explain it. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Uh, so, why? For you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is your life, so there is the statement, Christ is your life. That's what it means to be raised with him. He is now your life. When he appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So our objective, our destiny is to be at home with the Lord. That means to be joined to him physically forever. I like what the verse says in Thessalonians. After he talks about the resurrection of the church, he says, and so we will always be with the Lord. And just like these verses, should be assurance and comfort to us. So it is with those verses that are said in the resurrection so that we are not ignorant about those who have fallen asleep in Christ. That these words would also, as it says, be a comfort to us. Comfort one another with these words. And we need that comfort. We need that understanding because many people have been martyred and persecuted and died on the, in the service of the Lord. And some have given their whole lives to service and then died. But either way, it is still important to God that we have assurance, that we have this comfort to, and knowing so that while we're here, we don't walk around afraid of what's going to happen if we die. If we die should not be the largest thing in our minds. What should be is doing the will of God, walking in the ways that will please him. doesn't matter whether we're here or whether we're already absent from the body or away from the body and present with the Lord. So we're going to have to quit. We will continue these verses next week. Exciting verses to me speak about very important things. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for the verses that have assured us of our eternal destiny. We thank you for that you have fashioned these things, predestined us for this life. We, we thank you for this church where we can come and talk about these things and continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray.